Welcome to your headquarters for knowledge and helpful advice on a variety of topics, all from trusted experts in their fields. It's time for River City Podcast. McMaster is the founder and owner of the law offices of Elizabeth McMaster PLC. After graduating from the Catholic University Columbus School of Law in Washington, D.C. in 2006 and passing the Virginia State Bar, Elizabeth opened her practice in historic Fredericksburg, Virginia in February 2007. Elizabeth specializes in elder law, estate planning, guardianship probate, special needs planning, and mental health law. Elizabeth grew up on a 106-acre farm in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, which spurred her love of history, especially the U.S. Civil War, which led her to attend college in Virginia. Although born in Pennsylvania, Elizabeth is now a Virginian at heart. Elizabeth is a member of the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys and is a board member for the Virginia Academy of Elder Law Attorneys. Elizabeth is also a member of the Virginia Beach Bar Association, the Virginia State Bar, and Suffolk Business Women's Group. Elizabeth has been on the board of the Alzheimer's Association, which is near and dear to her heart, as she has lost a grandmother, grandfather, uncle, and great-uncle, as well as countless clients to Alzheimer's disease. Elizabeth moved to North Suffolk, Virginia in December of 2020. Elizabeth lives with her husband, John, his adult son, three French bulldogs, and a very sweet black cat. When not assisting her clients, Elizabeth loves to listen to true crime podcasts, go to the beach, and hang out with her Frenchies. Elizabeth, welcome to River City Podcast. Thank you very much. So we are going to talk today a little bit about guardianship, conservatorship, I think a word that nobody was too familiar with except for maybe in your profession legally, but we've heard a lot about that word since everything came out with Britney Spears. So I think more of us are familiar, but maybe still not completely understanding. So I'd love to start off by just having you kind of explain what that is and why it can be necessary under certain circumstances. Okay, well, guardianship and conservatorship, I believe every state has a statute on uh, these two things. Back in the day, it used to just be guardianship, and then it was broken off into two different terms. When somebody does not have a power of attorney in place or a medical directive, or maybe they do have those incapacity documents in place, however, they're being uh, misused, or perhaps they appointed an agent on those documents or one of the documents or whatever it may be, who has predeceased them or has incapacitated themselves. I actually just had a case not too long ago where that was the situation where the individual who we call a respondent, she did everything she was supposed to do. She had her medical and her power of attorney. And unfortunately, both the agents that she appointed predeceased her. And they were about 20 years younger than she was. And both of them passed because of cancer. So in that situation, it was necessary to file a guardianship and a conservatorship because she did have funds and she was in a facility and that needed to be, so I needed to make those payments for her and to manage her money for her. That is just one example of why we have the guardianship and the conservatorship. Another one would be with a disabled young adult. 
when we turn 18 years old in this country, we are considered to be full functioning adults and we have all those legal responsibilities and all those privileges being an adult once we turn 18. But if we have somebody who's under a disability and it could be a lower functioning autism, it could be Down syndrome, just for example, then someone, and it's usually the parents, that will step in to become the legal guardian. So they're really not doing anything different than they were doing prior to the child, uh, now the young adult turning 18, but they need something in hand to show school. It could be a hospital if there needs to be a procedure. It could be a doctor's office saying, yes, I can make decisions for this person. A court has deemed it so. That is another way that we use the guardianship conservatorship with those who, let's say we have an elderly adult who does have a power of attorney or a medical directive, sometimes those people appointed are not the best persons to be appointed and they could be bad actors and doing bad things. Who is there somebody that can, that ultimately when somebody applies for that, let's just say that can kind of weigh in on that and make sure to protect these people? The process is there is a petition filed in the circuit court for the jurisdiction in which the alleged incapacitated person lives. For example, if the person lives in Henrico County, then it would be in the circuit court for Henrico County. Once that petition is filed, there is required to be a medical evaluation filed with it from that person's primary care physician, or it could be a neurologist or anyone who has medical knowledge, the individual can say, yes, in fact, this person is incapacitated. So we don't have a situation where someone is after mom's money or grandma's money and says, well, I'm going to get guardianship conservatorship and then I'm going to be in control of grandma's funds or mom's funds. So we have to have that medical evaluation. It's very important as a piece of the evidence to go before the judge. And with the petition, we also send in an order appointing a guardian at litem that is mandatory. The guardian at litem is an attorney who is certified to represent persons under an incapacity. So we have guardians at litem for children, and we hear a lot about those uh, situations when someone is looking to get custody or visitation for a young child, and then we have it for incapacitated adults. So that guardian at litem is going to be the eyes and ears of the court, and their duty is what is in the best interest of the alleged incapacitated adult. And they will do a written report to the court, and they will come to court and uh, protect that person and say, yes, I have met. They have to legally, they have to meet in person with the person that's alleged to be incapacitated, which was really fun during COVID because, of course, if somebody was in a facility, no one could get in. So we had to do video meetings. So the guardian that light them would have a special clause in his or her order that would say that a video meeting was permitted to the pandemic. And that's how they would meet. But there are certain things that the guardian at Lightham has to let the person know about, such as being um, represented in court. They have a right to a jury trial, believe it or not. They also have a right to have their own attorney. So sometimes when we get into a contested guardianship, there could be an attorney for, it could be the petitioning attorney, there could be a guardian at litem, there could be an attorney for the respondent, the alleged incapacitated person, and let's say an attorney for sister and or brother. We could have multiple attorneys trying to come to a resolution of who is going to make these decisions financial and or otherwise for mom. 
It that does sound like there's a lot of safeguards in place to protect people. And I'm wondering, I mean, it just occurs to me how in the world something like what happened to Britney Spears happened. Are those statutory requirements different in Virginia? Well, California is its own special place. And uh, no offense to anybody from California. I am. But Believe it or not, <laughs> I am. <laughs> so Virginia law is a little bit different. And I'm not just going to pick on California. There are other states that have kind of loosey-goosey guardianship laws. I met back before we had, um, not to get into the weeds here, but back before we had the Uniform Guardianship and Protective Proceedings Act where somebody was under a guardianship in one state and then they moved. You had to file the whole thing over again. And um, now if the state is part of this act, then there are, it's a streamlined process. But I had one and I want to say it was from one of the northern states such as New Hampshire or Vermont or something of that nature where when the original guardianship was gotten in that state, the guardian at Lena met with the individual at the courthouse. My mind was blown. I'm like, that would never happen in Virginia just because we have those certain fail-safes in place to make sure that somebody actually needs a guardian. And I had a case one time where I had this lady, her granddaughters brought her to see me and she said, and I said, well, how can I help you? And she said, my daughter's trying to get guardianship in me. And I said, oh, really? I said, how do you know that? And she said, well, my sister... In California, believe it or not, I received a petition in the mail stating my daughter's trying to get guardianship of me. In Virginia also, you have to send a copy of the petition to family members, certain family members. So this is how she found out that someone, her daughter, had filed guardianship for her. And uh, so I asked her, what is wrong with you? And she said, nothing. And she said, my daughter keeps taking me to doctors trying to get them to sign some form. So the daughter, I mean, so I had her assessed myself. I had, and there was nothing wrong with her. I sent everything that I had and the attorney did what we call a non-suit and basically said, okay, there's no evidence here for guardianship. Well, two years later, her daughter did the same thing and we're back. And this time the attorney did not non-suit. And so we had to go through the whole process and I had her evaluated again. Once again, nothing was wrong with this woman. And after um, several hours of trial, it came down to the medical evaluation where the judge said, there is nothing wrong with this woman. And um, case dismissed. At what point is the person that's pursuing this relentlessly, it sounds like, cut off from being able to wait another two years and do it again? Uh, there really is nothing to prevent that. I think that was an outlying situation. There was money in her mother's estate that she wanted. I was guessing and, there was uh, money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Another thing, too, in the statute, all the attorney's fees and court costs are paid by the respondent. Because the filing of the guardianship is to be done for their best interest. So they are to pay for it unless there's something egregious. It has to be pretty egregious where the court won't allow that. I'm glad to know people like you are in place to help protect our loved ones. That's for sure. So there was a case that you had that was pretty intense. I think we referred to it as the granny napping. Can you speak to us a little bit about that scenario and what happened? Yes. And I do have permission from the family to speak about this. I'm not going to use names per se, but it was pretty wild. And it was my second year of practice. And uh, I had um, individuals come to see me. It was a family. And uh, they said, we think mom has Alzheimer's. And I said, well, what makes you think that? And they were telling me, they're like, well, it does sound like there's some dementia there. And I said, well, what's the problem? They said, well, there is a family friend living with her. 
And um, he had a relationship with one of her children. And when the relationship ended, uh, she told him, because he had nowhere to go, you can stay here and pay rent and do some things around the house. And, you know, everybody was agreeable to that. Well, all of a sudden, my client went, um, it was tax season, and he went to get his mother's things because they were going to have her taxes filed for. And this uh, man opens the door and says, get out, we're in love, leave us alone. The mother was 86 at the time, I want to say, and this gentleman was 53. Also, he was a gay man and had been for quite some time. <laughs> so wow. they're going, what in the world is going on here? That's when, that's when they decided to come see me. So we were lucky in this area. We had a doctor, Jerry Atrick, Jerry Trishan, who actually would do house calls, believe it or not. So I had him go out and meet with her. In his determination, she had moderate stage Alzheimer's and she did not recognize her children. In my mind, this man had been programming her and trying to lead her to believe that her children were not nice people and they weren't even her sons. That was a little concerning. So we got the medical evaluation that I discussed earlier and filed the petition. And the next day, they were gone. So this man had taken her. And to um, try to make a long story short, he married her in Tennessee in front of a judge. They ended up in California. So uh, we had to hire a private investigator to locate her, and uh, she had gotten, or um, he, through her, had gotten a uh, PG&E account, and that's how we um, located where she was. We had to fly the guardian at Lightham out to meet with her because there was that person-to-person requirement. So the guardian at Lightham flew out to California, met with her, and she uh, thought she was married to her her dead husband. Oh, that's so, my so client, sad. Yeah, my client's father, who was deceased. Uh, the other wrinkle in the story is she was a German war bride. She met her husband, her husband, when he worked for the U.S. Army, and she was his secretary after the war. So he told her she was so good. She's the best secretary he ever had. He was going to have to marry her and take her to the U.S. He adopted my client. His father was a Nazi and had deserted her. And uh, he adopted him, moved them over, and um, then had another child together until I believe he passed away in the 80s. So they had a long marriage. But she thought she was still married to him, and she didn't know that she had children. So she had regressed to the point where she was probably in her 20s. So she had no idea she was in California and uh, no idea her husband was gone and that she had children. We had the hearing. And the judge said, yes, she's a guardian conservator. So we had set, had it set up that my client and his brother were going to fly to California the next day with the order, the court order. And they got to California and uh, they met the private investigator and the police officer. They got to the apartment. He opened the door. This gentleman, I use that term very loosely. And uh, he said, I put her on a plane to Germany the night before. She still had relatives, cousins over in Germany. And uh, he put her on a plane to Germany and they picked her up at the airport. And we had, there's no international law against that, a guardianship law, which I found out because I had no idea what to do. And I'm part of a a group called the uh, Virginia Academy of Elder Law Attorneys. One of the attorneys in that group, her daughter worked at the German embassy. She coordinated to have a welfare check done over in Germany to make sure that she was there and okay. So we did have that. We finally got her back. He flew over there her, quote, husband. We finally got her back when uh, she had an incident, ended up in the hospital, and the family said, well, you need to call her son in the U.S. He's her guardian. So my client received a call from Germany 
And they said, we have your mother. So he explained the situation and they said, well, we'll keep her here until you get here. And which did. So he flew over and picked her up and brought her home. And she died in her bed several years later. This is out of the realm of what we're talking about. But then can charges be pressed against him? No. And it was very frustrating because until somebody is deemed to be incapacitated by somebody in a black robe in the circuit court, they can do whatever they want. Uh, She apparently spoke to the police, the police involved in the county this was in. They would call her and she would say she's happy. And there were all sorts of things that transpired in, I want to say, the six months this went on. Uh, This man tried to sell her house. And it was during one of the hot markets, this was in 2008, before everything uh, collapsed. Low ball offer on the house, and we caught it two days before it went to closing wow. because there was an HOA lien on the house. And so we caught that. I sent the attorney all the court documentation. I had some really angry buyers on the telephone with me. And I said, I'm sorry, this woman did not sign this contract. And even if she did, she didn't know what she was signing. And you're not buying this house. That's just one of the crazy things. Things that happened during this case. Police really didn't do anything. Uh, we had more cooperation from California. We actually had a reporter in California that was interested in the case. So, and this is just an example of exploitation that can happen, and it is happening. It, my clients lived in the same gated community, and this happened. So, imagine people who live across the country and they have mom or dad who is getting up in age and are a bit isolated and they don't get to see them as often. This can happen and does happen quite a bit. But in the situation, they lived just down the road. It's a very scary thing, but it does happen. I have not had a case like it. <laughs> so yeah. I thought, well, I can, you know, I can retire at this point. I've been in practice one year and I've had this. Right. Uh, <laughs> you so. kind of hit every single possible thing that can happen over the course of a career in one case. In one case. <laughs> and uh, luckily, my mentor, I had him on speed dial because it seemed like every week there was something new that would pop up. It was just the craziest thing. And then we had to find an attorney in Tennessee to annul the marriage because of my fear once we got her back is... He's going to, um, and we'll talk about this in a later episode, but my fear was she's going to die and he's going to be entitled to some of the estate. That was a concern because he certainly, we figured he at least probably took her $100,000 of her money. You know, he disappeared once she came back from Germany. We don't know where he ended up. I'm sure he came back to the U.S. somewhere, but. Well, and I'm sure we can bet that there's some elderly woman that encountered him not long after because it seems like he's uh, a predator. Absolutely. He was a predator. And uh, I'm sure that uh, he learned from his mistakes in that case. He knew what not to do the next time. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Ever since having that case, I just think, you know, they lived in the same neighborhood. I was imagine when you don't get to see mom or dad as often and what's, you know, that nice neighbor next door or that nice young man who mows the lawn for mom. Right. (laughs) And it can also be those people overseas that are in Africa or in makeup. I had a case where mom was getting burner phones in the mail. And she would get a burner phone and she would give money to scammers. She lost a quarter of a million dollars. Here's a question because, you know, there's a fine line. So I'm thinking about my mom who (laughs) 
is the like basically a 20 year old in a 70 whatever year old body. She's so young. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I imagine her getting older and you want to be there before anything can happen. You want to get involved and protect them before there's a point where they're potentially in a vulnerable position, but then you don't want to offend your parents either. You know, you don't want to come in too early. So how do you figure out that moment where it's probably a good idea to hire somebody like you and approach this guardianship? It's always good to have the conversation. If you approach it from the point of scenarios, what would happen if, or do you have any, and I call it incapacity documents because it really is the power of attorney and the medical directive, that's planning for incapacity. So we're not talking about death, which is a lot harder, believe it or not, because no one wants to think about dying. The number of people in this country without wills is astonishing or trust because it's not something you want to think about. Incapacity can happen to you tomorrow. It could happen to me. You don't have to be older for that to happen. It could be in a car accident. You know, it could be short term thing. Even if it's a short term, you want somebody to be able to pay your bills, somebody to be able to make decisions. So trying to come at it through you know, maybe, hey, so my husband and I were thinking about doing some planning. Have you thought about, you know, doing anything or making it so it's not an, a quote old people problem because right. it really isn't. And I do have younger clients and think about this because they have children, younger children. Like, well, what happens to our children? Another way to think about it would be this would help us know what you want, especially when we're talking about a medical directive. We want to do what you want us to do. So we need to know what you want. So we make those decisions. So we're not just floundering and not knowing, right? But you're always going to have people who are very private, even with their family, and they're not going to tell you or they're not going to want to plan for it. And unfortunately, that's when we get into these messy situations where, and the other one too, is people that don't have family, what are you going to do? And they really are the ones who need estate plans more than anybody because where's your stuff going to go to some great niece you never met? Or if you don't make a plan, you can give your money to charity, but you need somebody too to make those decisions in the interim before you're gone. So when we think about doing a will, we always tell folks you want to do, make sure you have that power of attorney, the medical directive. If you have heart problems or something of that nature, you want to discuss with your physician a DNR. Do you want to be resuscitated if you've had two heart attacks and your doctor tells you the third one is going to leave you brain dead or no quality of life. I had all the time telling me they want a DNR. I'm like, well, I can't do that for you. That's something you have to talk to your physician about. And if you're 50 years old with no heart, heart problems, no, I do not recommend you doing a DNR. That means do not resuscitate under any circumstance. That's a little but extreme. Are, I don't want that. <laughs> no. Yeah. I had a client one time say, I want to, can you do a DNR? And I'm like, well, no, I can't. I'm like, how old are you? <laughs> Do you have heart problems? No. No, you don't want that. (laughs) Yeah, it's just these terms people hear and they don't really understand what it really means, legally speaking. The DNR is mostly for somebody who's really up in age or who has a heart condition where you have one more stroke or heart attack. You're not going to have any quality of life. That's worried. But the medical directive does two things. The medical directive allows for you, the person to state, okay, this person is going to be my agent to make those decisions for me. I'm unable to voice those. And the second part is at end of life, this is what I want. And there could be somebody who has religious reasons for this is what I want, depending on uh, their religious affiliation. This year, believe it or not, it's the first time in 15 years of practice, I have done two medical directives that have said, keep me alive no matter what. 
And I've never come across that before. And I explained to them, well, at some point, if you're in the um, hospital, they're probably going to get a court order to do something because they're not going to keep you. It's expensive. They're not going to keep you alive forever. But that is the first time, like I said, in 15 years I've had to keep me alive by all means necessary. Elizabeth, you'll appreciate this. My stepfather had a medical directive. There are three girls. He has three Mm -hmm. girls. I'm the oldest. He ended up putting me down as the person to make the decision if he was in the hospital and came down to that. And it was not because I was the oldest. He said he picked me because my youngest little sister would wait too long and be unable to make a decision and that my oldest little sister would pull the plug too fast. Yes, I've heard that before. I have. People really put thought into this. I've had people say it can't be my daughter because she would just wring her hands and cry and she would not do anything. I don't want her. And then I don't want my son because I would have a bruise on my knee and I'm in the hospital and he'd be trying to unplug it. So, (laughs) so. (laughs) yeah, I've heard that one before. And um, which I love because people actually are thinking about it. They're not just saying, you know, oh, whatever. They're actually putting some thought into it, which is great. And I'm sure the person, the one wringing their hands, not being able to make a decision really does appreciate that because they don't want to be the one to have to make the decision. It's good to have a family that's close enough to be able to have these conversations and be open about Mm -hmm. it and figure out a plan. Well, I appreciate everything that you have educated us on today. This is just so important. And I hope people really do take from this. It is not a bad thing to plan ahead. And it's actually such a great thing. And it and it makes life so much easier when you get to this point, instead of just kind of hoping everything will be okay and crossing your fingers and not having a plan. If somebody wants to solicit you for help in any of these things, how can they find you, Elizabeth? The best way is through my website, which is the McMasterLawFirm.com, or they can feel free to email me at Elizabeth at McMasterLawFirm.com. My main office number is 540-371-1181. Feel free to check out my website. It uh, has everything that I can do to assist. It's pretty comprehensive, and they can even uh, send a, a message through the website. Wonderful. Elizabeth, thanks for being here today. Well, thank you very much, Jess. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to River City Podcasts. If you're interested in setting up a podcast for your business, go to rivercityconsulting.com 